time to go into auto reverse with Tony and Matt, where we look at bands that were underappreciated, misunderstood, forgotten, and to some unknown. This week, we're going auto reverse on the Groundhogs. So the, the Groundhogs, like, I gotta admit, like, I didn't know a lot about them and truthfully didn't really come into them until one of your bands played uh, Cherry Red and uh, the the, uh, the Bitch Wax Tab put did that and I was like... No, no, what I, was it, was it, was it a bit, Bitch Wax that covered it? Who was it? It was Earthless, I believe. Was it Earthless? Oh my yes. God. Yes, yeah. Yeah, because yeah, that's fine. I, you know what? Because I was listening to Tommy Bolin the other day, and that's I got that's where I got my wires mixed up. Ah, that's fine. But the song, you know, the the, you know, what I'm curious to hear your way into this. But mine was just hearing that cover of, of it from Earthless, and just um, you know, just the 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 just the riff on that, and just the the whole construction of the song. And then when going through this whole, going through listening more to their stuff for the wonderful playlist that you put together, like this, this was like a blues band, <laughs> which they, they don't really, to me, like they started as a blues band, but they evolved into something much greater. Yeah, they were, they were, they were always a blues band. And, and we can't talk about the Groundhogs without talking about Tony McPhee, who, yeah. I mean, that it just like, uh. Um, when we were talking about Little Feet, Little Feet is Lowell George. Right. The Groundhogs is Tony McPhee. So, but he, this is a guy heavily, heavily informed about the blues. I mean, he they back. I mean, just from reading the um, the Wikipedia list um, entry for them about how they how the Groundhogs, the early version of the Groundhogs, like sixty three, sixty four, they were like basically any american blues person that went to the uk that was their ba- that was their backing band it was the groundhogs so it's like little walter john lee hooker was the dollar bills the band that they he got in with his uh, buddy at work uh, uh creek shank i think his name is uh, i believe so that that's that's def- definitely deeper knowledge creek shack was 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 he the drummer or the bass player well, the brothers the one brother played harmonica and the other one played bass peter played bass Oh, okay. So yeah, so the harmonica player, the other brother, was in the original version of the Groundhog. So that right. record, Scratching the Surface, he plays harmonica on that, and it was a four-piece. It wasn't until after that record. So when they had that string of records, Blues Obituary, Thank God, uh, Thank Christ for the Bomb, all those. That's when they ditched the brother that played harmonica, and it was just a three-piece. Right. Um, so. Yeah, so I, I I believe that early version of the band that as a four piece was the one band backing all these bl- American blues guys that came over there, and they named themselves after a John Lee Hooker song, uh, Groundhog Blues. Yeah, which I added to the playlist last night just because I felt like that's that an important nice detail. Nice move. An important detail. Yeah, <laughs> so hard to do that. Um, <laughs> but uh, but yeah, um, I guess. I, I'm glad that we that I picked the Groundhogs and I and I sort of threw the ball in your court, knowing that you didn't know that much about them because they are they are worth the 
the effort of getting to know them because even though like yeah they are a blues band and they continue to be a blues band there is something very original and one of a kind about their sound and and it was a sort of um so built by mcphee you know so let's talk about that a little bit because i don't think that they're a blues band at all like so for example like i think savoir brown uh, savoir brown i'm mangling the name uh, Savoy Brown, yeah. Savoy Brown is a blues band, and they never really lose that identity as a blues band in their sound. Whereas the Groundhogs, he put a lot, he really took some, like just the arrangement of his songs doesn't doesn't do the ch typical, you know, one three five. Uh, he it goes beyond that. Like even Cherry Red, it's like this kind of. You know, I, I, this is an annoying term, but it's like it's very proto metal. I know why a lot of bands yeah. like the Groundhogs because they're like his songs and his his melodies and his riffs are very not. I wouldn't consider them blues riffs. I I mean, and there's yes, there the, he can put down a blues song really well. The band John McPhee playing guitar can really lay lay it down, as they say. But like like listening to the playlist and listening to some of the other albums and listen to some of his solo stuff. It's there, but it's not. Doesn't seem like it's the it's the engine. Like it seems like they have multiple sources that they kind of pushed off of, like an iteration of the blues, but something that much more abstract that uses maybe a couple drops of essential oils of blue, and, but everything else is is ingredients from different different things coming from this guy's mind. Because it's like, yeah, I, you know, I kept trying to listen. Like the first, you know, couple two three albums. Uh, especially with the, the four piece it's a blues band but then they go somewhere else especially when you know you're looking at the albums um that they did with the um you know with the split albums and everything like that that was like that's to me signal like he's going away from he's he's like trying to depart the blues band and trying to redefine who they are as a band rather than we're we're, we're a band that plays the blues i don't know what do you think about that I, I real I just I just look at it this way. It's just from listening to the playlist and sort of going over my notes about about their history, I realize that between sixty nine and seventy two, mm -hmm. I believe or seventy three, when they made those four albums, so they made Blues Obituary, then Christ for the Bomb, Split, and then the album The Mighty Groundhogs, which was a blind spot for me. Those four albums are essential. That is the most essential work of theirs. Yeah. That, and it's their golden, their golden era, the golden era of that band. Yeah. It was never, it was never matched after that. No. Things sort of went, I, w I wouldn't say downhill is the wrong term, but it just, it changed. Like the, it wasn't the, the as three inspired. Piece, the three piece was gone. McPhee right. was still at, at in, at the helm but it be, and it became more experimental even that solo record that he did um is very experimental with moogs and and synths and stuff i mean a lot of people were doing that in the like mid to late, late 70s anyway but um so that golden era of those four albums and like i said the the mighty groundhogs which my friend paul like two months ago goes i just bought a copy of this I, this is a slept on one from them and and i and i agree and i agreed yeah. with him because then i went back and listened to it i'm like damn this record's really good because it's a even more progressive yeah, than the other other records right and 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 then i realized at that point it sort of crystallized that this was their their period those four records 
it's everything. If 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 anyone, if someone like not us, right? Someone that didn't know at all or was very you know new to all this, but had an interest, I would just hand them those four records and be like, "Yo, take this home. Yeah, listen to it till you you know there's blood coming out of your ears, and then and then and then tell me what you think." And I think for me. The way I came to them was again. I'll bring him up again. Was um, was uh, Ned Brewster, who I've mentioned before right. on the show. He was someone who worked at at a guitar shop in the city, and um, he also worked at the old Venus Records on St. Mark's. And he's a friend of mine, and he I, I think I met him through the Raging Slab people. He lives in Spain now. Um, he put them on a tape. Uh, one of these crazy mixtapes with like all you know like I've told you before like Captain Beyond yeah. and Sir Lord Baltimore and stuff and he put them on there and I was really I was really um, intrigued by them because they were so different than all the other bands they were uh, their their approach to the proto metal thing was a little bit more subtle and more um, not subtles maybe not the right right term but some something was different about them and then when when uh earthless covered cherry red i went back and bought split because i was like because people were like dude that's the album because it's conceptual right it's weird it's just like a series of sweets it's like cherry it's yeah, like yeah, split yeah. sweet one sweet two yeah. so it's all kind of interconnected and and that's where i realized it was really on that record in some ways and then also reassessing them recently and listening to the mighty groundhogs with the cartoony album cover that's where i realized their genius you know and um it's 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 cool I, i'm glad that we brought this one up because i knew that you didn't know that much about them no. so it was like it was a good way to kind of get excited all, all over again right yeah and i mean it's kind of it, it's funny because it's, you're right about the mighty groundhogs that album because like that song uh, earth is not room enough is just like oh. i've listened to that song probably every day the last week just because it's like it's, you know, the, when I first listened to the, the those the first uh, the first five albums uh, and not I, mean, I shouldn't say the first five but it, through the ones through the the period that you were talking about sixty eight to seventy two I think it was, um, you know they were there's a little bit like of the Sonics so they have this kind of like garage band kind of thrust to them where it's mm-hmm. not overtly polished but you it's got that kind of soul and got that intensity to it. But it's not over the top. It's really well, restra- not restrained, but it's like it's harnessed so you can really feel the power of these really nice melodic lines and riffs that you kind of cling on to. Um, and, I, I, you know, I think that's one of the nicer things about when you're rediscovering these bands or learning about new bands is like you don't, you don't, I don't have it. You, you play with your sense of expectation about what you, you hear a couple songs like, okay, I, this is what this band's about. But they kept doing like those that like especially Mighty Groundhogs and Split. You they, it kind of went off in some different directions where I didn't really know what to expect. And that's, you know, that's ultimately, you know, the the best ride for me. Um, like I heard John Lee Hooker and they're John Lee Hooker's house band when they went to England. And obviously, you know, like you said, the name of the band after Hooker and John Lee Hooker is a very distinct style. So you, I was like, well, I hope they're not going to be following that and do more like what Can Heat did and just kind of infuse their style with John Lee Hooker songs or vice versa and yeah I I actually put one John Lee Hooker song that they did with the Groundhogs on on the playlist that was my 
big contribution. That was your that yeah. was your throw yeah. in there. Yeah. That's that was yeah. my little sassy wink. Yeah, but <laughs> but there's nothing wrong with that. John Lee Hooker is. Uh, no, nah, I love John Lee. Uh, Hooker. To me, that he, they they should have a um, what do you call it? Um, shrine. A uh, shrine to him, and what's that? What's the what's the mountain with the faces on it? A oh, uh, Mount, Mount Rushmore, Mount Rushmore of of fabulous uh, musicians, American musicians. He would definitely be on there. Uh, but you know the Groundhogs. I, I like I said the John McPhee guy uh, wrote really good songs too, lyrically and. It's music. Tony McPhee. Tony what did I say? You keep saying John McPhee. Well, you're still on the you're still on the Fleetwood Mac tip. John McPhee. I was thinking John McPhee, the writer too, and then yeah. Oh okay. Yeah. So yeah, sorry. Uh, yeah, Tony McPhee. No, no, it's fine. Tony, <laughs> Tony McPhee. I'm glad you're. Please keep correcting me. I like. I like feeling like I don't know but that much, which happens a lot around my house. So it's a yeah, good, I'm sure. I like that same consist- here. Like that consistency. Um, same here. Um, but you know that I was trying to compare them to some of the some of the bands. You know, there's a little bit of Atomic Rooster in them. You know, like that kind of that edge. Um, you know, I wouldn't say dark, but just like a little bit outside of what you would tell like a blues band or a blues rock band. That kind of kind of points to me just from the songs that they write they, they're not like something that is set in stone in terms of uh like i said they're not doing a simple blues pattern they're like really exp- expanding it to something and really going for uh some bigger ideas which is you know man i like i could see why they toured with the stones and um you know you played on your show last week the live at leeds with cherry Red. yeah and that, Sorry, their version, their version of Cherry Red on that. Yeah, and that just smoked. So I, I had no idea that Mick Jagger helped release that record. I guess they had recorded on that on the Rolling Stones tour that at, at the whatever Leeds College in England, and um, and I guess Mick Jagger convinced them to release it and well, sort of helped them release it. Now, it, I've never seen a a version of that album on like a their former label. It was. Yeah. The way I got that album was that weird um, Italian uh, reissues label in the '90s reissued a A Karma. Uh-huh. So I feel like those those there may be a, a version of that album bouncing around that was originally released, but then it went out of print, and then this and then A Karma reissued it in the '90s. But I I, I never see it. I, that was just like a random pick up from my distributor like they had a groundhog sec- section and that was one of the records i didn't have and and then i realized it was just a reissue it wasn't um an original and i've never seen an original anywhere yeah so but it was mick mick that that helped them release it but yeah to getting back to your point about the dark their sort of dark sort of uh take on things i you, you the just the song titles the lyric content it's a lot of it is dark yeah you know um uh, post-apocalyptic, not even post-apocalyptic, like apocalyptic. apocalyptic. Yeah, yeah, and 
and I and you're right that that did remind me a ton of Atomic Rooster, and and may, and and it only adds to the sort of proto metal kind of heaviness that um, that I was that intrigued me about all these bands. You know, when I was getting turned on in the '90s through Friends, right? You know, I you know obviously we were all huge Sabbath and Deep Purple fans and stuff, but I didn't know this other sort of realm or you know yeah. of bands. Um, that were there and groundhogs were like right at the top of the list boom and then the fact that they were a power trio which also gets back to your whole like garage their sort of garage um um sort of like pro propelled sound right, right i think it had a lot to do with the fact that they were a three-piece you know they didn't have much to work with they had it like really um you know they didn't have that luxury so i, I think well, that's why they sound that way but but maybe that maybe maybe they wanted to sound that way. Maybe that was a conscious effort. Well, on, here's on something part. to think about also, and it's like I, you know, I, and this is one of the bigger facts that I, it kind of boggles my mind about them as well. Like they started in '63, not like I know, not like in '68, and then started yeah. like when there was when it was really a hot time to be, uh, you know, a, a rock and blue a blues rock band. Um, you know, '63, '64, they they started, you know, and uh, you know, and then they're they're still kind of together, but really, you know, to kind of go through that transition of yeah, it's really weird too. It's like they started in '63 or late or early '64, and then they, their first album doesn't come out till '68, and that like right. so, so those four years, they're basically trying to dial in what it looks like from when I'm looking through their Wikipedia thing was like. They're just really trying to figure out their, their their team because it's like they go through four different iterations before '65, and then it was like that that the the, the power trio from '65 to '69. Uh, it looks like here, and then they uh, they added a, a harmonica player in '69, and then from '69 to '72 they go back to the three piece. So that kind of, but like that transition like to being a type of band that plays a certain type of music that kind of like bouncy good morning little schoolgirl yards birds type of stuff yeah and then going to something that's a you know where they go to you know to uh you know split and thanks christ for the bomb you know those things are a little heavier um yeah they they they, they um they they changed they they progressed uh that's that's totally what a lot of these bands were doing i mean a, a lot of them were in this sort of blues blues rock stew um a lot of these bands were like you mentioned yardbirds um uh john mail uh, even early fleetwood mac well, they were all in that stew in the mid 60s even the stones to a to a degree so they were just part of that stew and then some of these bands jumped out of the stew and created their own not a know, lot though right style. not a lot not a lot not a lot not a lot of them i think the stones definitely made the jump yeah but the stones the stones were always that band that were going to make the jump like check like even the stones with disco if you think about it yeah they knew that they knew that their rickety ass rock and roll truck was all busted up so they just turned it into a disco truck and then rolled right into the yeah. 80s they were the one of the only bands that could could pull that off yeah. Um, Kiss, but a lot of Kiss the other tried, bands, Kiss, Kiss tried that too. Kiss tried it too. <laughs> okay, don't. This is not an invitation for you to start talking about Kiss. Okay, no, no one asked you. No one asked you to talk about Kiss. Okay. Um, uh, <laughs> you're always looking for a reason. Always. Um, 
always. Uh, but yeah, so the, yeah, you're right. They, not a lot of bands jumped out of the stew. They did, and they did a great job. And they're so interesting. And I'm glad we're talking about them because I feel like um, it, only once in a while, some a band will cover them or, or talk about them, or someone some writer will talk about them, and there'll be a tiny blip of interest for like a few months. But yeah. generally, like McPhee and the Groundhogs, they don't get the credit they deserve because they were never a huge band and um that's what we do here on auto reverse we go back pull these people out of the stew and let everyone know this is important make this a cornerstone of yeah and listening collecting whatever and and i want to make it we've never really talked about this either it's like we don't try to shoehorn these shows so like if one of us mentions a band and we go looking into it and there's not enough good stuff uh, that to listen to, or there's nothing really remarkable about any of their albums or anything. Then, you know, we generally cut bait because it's not a waste. If it's going to be a waste of our time, it's going to be an extreme waste of your time. Um, and you know, I think that with the Groundhogs, it wasn't just finding something that validated making this a topic to talk about, but like trying to figure out why these got these guys didn't get more attention because. It's kind of, you know, I wouldn't put them up there like, maybe I would put them up there with Atomic Rooster and like Budgie and bands who wrote some really great songs on, puts together some really great albums and just most people have no idea they exist. Uh, But like with this this band, it's something that I I think everyone's going to have a really great time going through the playlist because it's not, you know, it's, it's, it was a joy to kind of discover these things and we were both like very eager to kind of share it and talk about it because you know that is kind of the purpose one of the purposes of the show is to try to get people to listen to appreciate these bands and you know if you, it's not about liking every album or becoming a devotee but it's just about putting these guys in it's, your pre- it's 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 musical musical appreciation it's cultural appreciation right it's it's all it's all this is and I, and I like the thing with the Groundhogs because what I did was I made this playlist like a month ago and it's like I put it in the fridge and let it marinate. You know, like I let, <laughs> left it there for you to go back and to go back and listen to. It was mo- I did it for you. I did it for myself because yeah. then I also, when, when we were getting ready to record this, I went back and added things to it and reassessed some of the stuff I had put on the list. And I actually like on some in some parts of the playlist i it's like i put the entire record on and i was like you know what fuck it leave the whole thing on it's just a, this is a whole thing you know yeah. and that, and that's that's the beauty of what we do is that you know sometimes you go back reassess you're like fuck it cup bait i'm not doing this and sometimes you go back and say yeah keep the whole thing and that, yeah that's and why i like it and i think that you're right it's like the intention is to go wide and just be able to listen to it and say okay this is the most interesting list to put forth and um, you know, that was especially with a band like Ground, uh, like when we did Digital Underground, like they had so much yeah. for you and I, it was like more of a, it was a discovery. So we were just like, God, we got to put this song on there. This is great. Yeah. And, yeah. and it was like, I would say for me, it was like 60% of songs on the Digital Underground playlist. I, I didn't know. I hadn't heard before, even though I love that band. Whereas Groundhogs, like most, like there's only like three song, two, three songs that I've heard before. And the rest of the playlist, it's all like a new discovery. And it's something that, you know, the guy seems like he's still playing. I don't know when his last show was, but I think he... He's he's not, he's still, pl- he was still playing up until a few years ago, but I feel like he has, because I follow him on, uh, on Facebook, I'm Facebook friends with him. I feel like he has some 
some cognitive issues related to medical issues. I could be yeah. wrong, but I'm pretty sure like he right. doesn't, he's not out that much anymore. I think he has problems from what I understand. He has problems speaking. Right. Um, so I don't, you know, I don't know what happened to him. It's not, it's not generally public knowledge, but maybe some sort of stroke or something. So I, but I'm not sure. And, and anyone out there, please let us know if you know what, what's happened to Tony McPhee, because just from the little, you know, little strips of information I get from his Facebook page. I feel like he may have gotten sick a few years ago, uh, so and that's uh, yeah, and that's a damn shame. He had a stroke in 2009, so he retired. in 2014. So, but you know, just that if you look at someone who started playing bands seriously at 63, and his last kind of gigs were in 2009 or 2000. 10 or 11 you know that's that's an i mean that's something that and to have an audience and to have that kind of people to embrace your music uh enthusiastically which you know I, like i'm can safely say that a lot of these albums especially the ones we talked about that were done uh between 69 and 72 i'm gonna probably listen to them you know for the rest of my life because there's that good and there's there's so, it, they're really interesting fun records to kind of yeah and that's another thing these are fun these are fun songs to listen to they're, they're, they really engage you in and make and like they're not trying to take up your time and um well they're taking up your time but you know they're they're being a nice you know someone visiting who's who's nice to talk, listen to not someone who's going to sit there and talk about all the things they did down at city hall the last couple weeks um I don't know why I brought that up, but <laughs> um, Jeez. yeah, I know. Well, spe speaking of taking up your time, have we taken up enough of the I, listeners' I time? I think we have. I think we have. We probably exhausted their their listening's uh, attention <laughs> for probably the last five minutes. But uh, yeah, that's you know, okay. Yeah, check out the playlist. As always, uh, auto reverse pod at uh, gmail .com or just. Hit us up on Instagram or Facebook with questions and stuff. You know, until next time. All right, peace.